0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode zero of the Sanford Journal podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan. I'm also the treasurer of the Sanford Journal, and my co-host is Faye. Um, And today we'll be chatting with the Sanford Journal's leadership team about their vision for the journal and this podcast. Before we get into our discussion, we wanted to hear from Laura, our co-editor-in-chief, about all of the work that we've done in the last year. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience, I'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm Laura Streitfeld, my pronouns are she, her, um, and I'm the co-editor-in-chief with Anna Hallahan. this year. We're both second-year Master of Public Policy students and really excited to start publishing student work on the journal's uh, online
0: website. Perfect, so can you tell me about the history of the journal and what the journal's been doing in the past?
1: Yeah, the Sanford Journal is a forum for graduate students at Sanford to publish original work. Um, It might be work that comes out of class study or original research or um, opinion pieces. And uh, some of the work that we've done this year, just starting to get ready um, to put new work on the site, has been trainings. So we've done a number of workshops that we're excited about connecting with journalism faculty up to this
0: point. Perfect. 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 Um, and some of those trainings that we've already had, like who are the faculty that they've been with?
1: Um, we've been really fortunate to have um, discussions and presentations and interactive workshops with Frank Bruni, um, who's here on the faculty at the DeWitt-Wallace Center, as well as Margaret Sullivan, who's visiting faculty this year um, at Sanford, and uh, with Stephen Buckley, who's also on the faculty at DeWitt-Wallace, and all seasoned journalists with really inspiring and um, wonderful backgrounds and expertise that they've been willing to share with the graduate students this year.
0: Perfect. So now that we've talked a little bit about where the journal's been, let's figure out where it's going. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host Faye now.
2: Thanks Jonathan. I am Fei. Um I am originally from Shanghai, China. I am a first-year MPP student. I am very interested in international development policy, you know, things like to make People worldwide live in a more equitable way and also with greater opportunities. Fun fact, I used to live in Australia when I was a kid, also in Melbourne. Um, I am the co-host of the Sanford Journal podcast. I know you guys can see us, but I do have Flaming, um, who's sitting next to me. Um, he's also a first-year
3: MPP student. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing so well i'm so excited to be here um as Faye said my name's Fleming. i use he him pronouns i am actually from uh the triangle area grew up in raleigh uh excited to be back though um don't tell anyone but i am a lifelong unc fan so being at duke has been like a very it's been a very odd experience i i camped out for for basketball tickets and I was really confused why people were so excited. Uh, I am the, the senior producer uh, for uh, the, the podcast, and um, I think when it, when it comes to, to policy, I am tragically excited by everything, but I particularly enjoy thinking about uh, the intersection of uh technology uh policy and polarization and and our democracy i spent a, a long time working on uh democratic campaigns and thinking about how we um fix our society is is exciting and and
0: stressful for me so fleming i'm just curious since you mentioned you were a camp out did camp you out. actually manage to win tickets
3: I did manage to win tickets. Uh, it was the ultimate irony because I slept through five check-ins, and my roommate, who is a good man who genuinely wanted those tickets and to cheer on our Blue Devils, um, saying our Blue Devils is still odd for me, um, did not win tickets, uh, which was uh, I think really heartbreaking for him. And uh, but but I I have. I'm giving him all of my time. I was just there for fun. So so he's he's going to get to go to games. We're having a good time.
2: So I'm sure that camp out is one of the most important things Absolutely. that make you yeah. cho- cho- choose Stanford. Um, what what are all the other reasons?
3: Outside of my passion for sleeping on the ground, I really believe <laughs> that, um, I mean, I think it's a couple of things, right? The Stanford School is this incredible combination of uh, practitioners, policymakers, makers, um, incredible like, academics and researchers from whom to learn. I, I reached this point in, in my career where I, I looked at uh, the future and wanted something different. And I think that being able to learn from people who've made their lives work, uh, crafting, shaping, and responding to policy was something that was very interesting to me. I, I care very deeply about the, the Triangle community, uh, it's, it's where um, my family is. It's where um, I uh, have like invested a lot of time and care in my life, and I, I wanted to be a part of it as I figure out this next step. Uh, Duke is, uh, despite my my minor razzing, uh, an exceptional institution with an incredible culture of people who love it or and, ex- and are excited to be here. And I think that uh, to be on a campus where people are not just excited to learn, but excited to learn from one another uh, was really exciting. And I think that my peers at Sanford are, are you know, the, the best part of being here every day.
2: Also, we have Selma, managing editor of the journal. Hi, my name is Selma.
4: I use she, her pronouns. I'm from both Mississippi and Vermont, and I am the managing editor of the journal. I'm not sure if I'm gonna have a concentration, but I'm
2: most interested in social
4: policy, with a specific focus on criminal justice.
2: Um, now, I just want to go back to um, Laura and Jonathan, if you guys could share, you know, because it's episode zero, we want to know, what's your vision of the journal going forward?
1: Um, yeah, we're so excited to um, be working on the journal this year. And I, I'm you know, saying that um, with my co-editor, Anna Hallihan, we've been thinking about this all spring and all summer. Um, we're really excited to work together with first and second year students um, and really make the journal a place for students to share thoughts on policy that interests us. Um, and us by meaning you know, our whole cohort. But we're really interested in what people are thinking about, what they've, um, any takeaways from courses or interactions or conferences that folks have attended. Um, and we want it to be a place where you can share your research, new ways of thinking, um, post opinion pieces, policy briefs and backgrounders, and just generally a forum to explore new ideas and get feedback.
0: And so for me, w- uh, one of the things that I'm very excited about with the journal is actually this podcast. I was kind of It's kind of my brainchild, and so I'm super excited that we're finally getting started. Uh, but I'm also really excited for the events that we're, we've had already this year and, and similar events that we're going to be having coming up in the future. You know, we've talked about having some data visualization artists come this spring to help us all improve our data visualization and other other mediums that we can work to communicate what's happening here at Sanford. So that's what I am very, very uh, excited about with this here.
2: What's your vision for the Sanford Journal? Now you're the managing editor. So I don't think the managing editor position really existed before
4: but I am looking forward to being able to compile everybody's writing and make a really easy system for people to submit the writing that they do, get quick edits on it, be able to really be proud of the work that they do and become published authors by the end of their time at Sanford that they can share with other people, share with potential internships or bosses that they may have in the future and be able
2: to be really proud of the work that they've done. Sounds good. My next question is for all three of you, Jonathan, Laura, and Selma. What will be your goal for the year um, for Sanford Journal?
0: I think that uh, my goal for the year for the Sanford Journal is in process of being, of happening right now. I wanted to kick off this podcast and it's happening, so it's like an extremely exciting moment for me.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean my goal is to learn together as we develop new skills and expertise in writing and editing. We had some really great um sessions with uh journalism faculty and one thing um Margaret Sullivan talked to us about was how editors can work with writers and be collaborative. Um she gave us some great tips about things like murdering your darlings, not getting attached to one little thing, but looking at what really serves your writing. So I'm excited about all of us connecting with the wonderful faculty at DeWitt Wallace and also developing our own skills as writers and editors as we share each other's work.
3: I I apologize for cutting in, but as as someone who was not able to attend, I would love to hear more about murdering your darlings.
1: Well, the idea, um, we had a really terrific meeting with Margaret Sullivan a couple weeks back, and she talked to us about how you can get attached to a certain phrase or a certain uh, cute or you know, beloved piece of writing that you've worked on that may not fit the, may not serve the purpose of the piece that you're writing. And so she actually gave us one of her columns from The Guardian and asked us to identify where there was a piece of writing that maybe didn't serve the piece well. And that was really interesting. And she talked about how, you know, sometimes you need to edit your own pieces or you need to edit carefully to identify those spots where it may have sounded clever or just like a favorite phrase, but it didn't, help the piece.
4: Just like a fun little piece that you really like. I'm very guilty of that. I'll find Mm -hmm. something and think I'm so clever Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really serve anything but my own ego, I guess. Um, So I think for me, a goal for the year is that people like Faye and Fleming and I and all of the other first year editors build something that can continue on past us that we can create something that, when we're second years, we're able to really recruit first years and have a really good structure for them. And then, as we graduate, we can look back on the published works that we did and the work that we did to really build this amazing foundation for an organization that is so important to a lot of people who are interested in becoming good editors and good writers and give people a chance to express themselves in this way.
2: Now, I'm just getting a little bit more personal here. I would like to hear, you know, what's the what's the most important thing to know about you, Selma?
4: I think the most important thing to know about me is that I believe that I'm a really passionate person. I think that's probably the quality about myself that I do prize a lot and put into everything that I do. I'm very passionate about learning. I'm passionate about writing. I'm passionate about being here and making the most out of my experience as a graduate student and then into the future being you know a very passionate advocate in everything that I do. So I think in the most arbitrary sense that is the
2: most important thing to know. Passion is indeed the most important thing here at policy school. Um, How about you Jonathan?
0: I think for the sake of Sanford the most important thing to know about me is that I'm extremely involved in everything. Uh, Which sometimes causes problems with me getting things done. (laughs) Uh, I have the same problem. (laughs) You know, I'm doing. I do so much here at Stanford between uh, between the journal, my own courses, my assistantships, helping in admissions occasionally. That I just I feel like I've always got something happening. Uh, But honestly, I love it. There's always something to do.
2: Laura, what about you? What's what would you say the most important thing if we want to? know
1: more about you. I think I'm a really curious person, and I'm also really interested in justice. Um, When I was growing up, just with family circumstances, my sort of mantra was, it's not fair. And I had a grandfather who would say to me, life's not fair. Um, It's tough all over, which um, may have been true for him growing up. But I, I felt that, you know, there were all these problems I saw on a personal level, and then as an adult, I've seen on a community level that I was frustrated about. So coming to Sanford has been an amazing opportunity. Um, So I guess I'm a lifelong learner. I'm back at school after a number of years working with rural communities. And I really greatly appreciate the opportunity to be at Sanford with such smart, insightful classmates from an incredible range of backgrounds and interests. And it's a privilege that I appreciate every day. Um, People who wanna go into public service and work on a thoughtful approach to solve intractable problems, People who want to increase equity and address disparities on a local and global scale, um, including here at Sanford and at Duke. uh, This place and the people here really inspire me. It doesn't get much better than this.
2: So, you know, we're all in Sanford Journal, and I believe we all love writing, right? So what's a piece of writing or a media that has changed your life, basically? Jonathan?
0: So as cliche as it is, um, the Harry Potter books came into my life at exactly when I needed them. Um, it created a way for me to escape uh, you know, some things that I had happening in my life that um, I really needed to escape from. And it, it pulled me into a world completely different from my own. So for me, definitely that piece of writing is the Harry Potter books. Despite all the problematic parts of J.K. Rowling nowadays, um, those those pieces of work, are really important in my life.
1: Um, Two things come to my mind. Uh, First, Catherine Wu, who writes for The Atlantic. She's a science writer. Um, She can work a metaphor like nobody's business. She can weave it into a narrative. Uh, A couple years back, she wrote about, during the pandemic, about um, uh, COVID isolation being a lot like baking muffins and being raw dough in the oven that needs to cook. Um, so I really love that, the ability to take something that's complex and break it down for readers and take us along. Um, but, but one that stands out for me, years ago, I read a book called Oranges by John McPhee, and it's a deep dive, which I love, into the long cultural and economic history of a single piece of fruit. And it showed me that great writing, like great teachers, can make any topic come to life. Highly recommend that book.
2: Flamie, you've been quiet.
3: You, you, and I both know that that's really hard for me. I think I appreciate you bringing me in. Um, I love stories so much, and I, I think that it really descends from. Uh, for me, I, I you know I would joke that my my dad and would make sure that like he would watch Star Wars with my mom while I was in the womb. So I just have this like aggressive biological reaction to that theme music. Um, I, I have loved the Star Wars movies, even the bad ones, especially the bad ones, for my entire life. And I think that there's something... Um, they're not... I want to be very clear, and I'm being recorded, so I guess it's bad. They're not always good. They are, in fact, often very bad movies. But there's something very grounding about notions of good and evil and forgiveness and love. And I, I think that in... Uh, this, particularly the movies that George Lucas is writing these these important questions about the nature of democracy versus fascism the idea that we are always kind of fighting that battle for representation uh, the the idea that that um, Emperor Palpatine is both Richard Nixon and George W Bush um, the and and then I think within that kind of larger framework I think there are individual movies like um, uh, Star Wars Rogue One, which came out after the 2016 election, which was my first, it was, it was my, my first job was as an organizer on Hillary Clinton's campaign. I spent 13 months of my life living in strangers' basements, uh, trying to talk to voters about how if they didn't um, elect Hillary Clinton, things were going to be really bad, and then they didn't. And I just kind of felt uh, like a failure. And then this movie came out a bunch of, about a bunch of people who were kind of screw-ups who failed and, but their failure um, still kind of led the way to something greater, uh, and that was very meaningful for me. And I think that Star Wars has always kind of had that very grounding element uh, for me and, and thinking about, um, for me, kind of finding out, like, what, what, is, what, are, my, what are my things I'm fighting for and, and how, do, how am I going to center myself in the universe?
4: I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that, but. Uh.
3: I
0: really love Star Wars.
4: It's not. It's, it's just.
3: Uh, I get excited.
0: You're saying all that stuff, and I was like, is plumbing a movie critic? Oh my gosh. Like,
3: it's, I'm also cheating. Future listeners, uh, I'm cheating. I wrote the questions, so this is not. This is not, I cheated. It's fine. Still, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no,
4: it's fine. We're listening to your monologue about how you cheated. Uh, listen, it's fine. Uh, so I think for me, I relate to Jonathan a lot about escapism and needing that a lot as a kid. And uh, when I was young, my mom told me that I didn't have a ton of interest in learning how to walk um, because... My theory about myself is that uh, I knew somebody was going to pick me up and take me there, so not interested. But books, I was interested in books because I couldn't read or write. So I was like, this is pretty pictures. My mom reads me words, and they're fun. Um, My grandpa always thought that I was going to be very smart when I was a kid because I loved reading and books. And the first book he ever read me was The Hobbit. And we had a big picture book and I would sit on his lap every Sunday and would go through, we would read the book together and I would point at the pictures and he would have me repeat words to him. And so that book became really, really special to me, like growing up, going back to it, watching the movies, having that escapism. And I always found the symbolism of loving dragons and loving the idea of, you know, a dragon having feelings, even though you can also slay your own dragon. You know, and then my grandpa actually writes me books every Christmas since I was two. Aww. He writes books and he draws me pictures, and I every year, every year, and my other two little cousins, they also get books. I get two, they get one, uh, but I read it to them every year, and he's written, I mean, at this point, probably like fifty children's books and so even though The Hobbit I would say is like the published piece of work that I think has been the most impactful his books and these copies of the books that he's been writing for me since I was little and like you can see my evolution over time of, like, I just read this little baby book about a crab, and now I'm reading this book about, like, the theory of aliens, uh, and he writes all of those things for me. So, long-winded answer. My grandpa is easily the most impactful author that I can think of, and I'm very much into immersing myself into things
2: that are not like my life is all the time. That's such a sweet story. Um, I... Since we're all talking about Harry Potter and The Hobbit, I guess it's time to ask this question: If you had a magic wand, what one policy would you change? Start with flaming because you're making a face.
3: <laughs> Fa- face <laughs> this. This is not a visual medium. You just outed me. Um, I. I mean, I think. Uh, for for me, what it, it comes down to is. Uh, we have this opportunity to be in a participatory democracy and um, like I, I think that mandatory voting uh, is is something that we don't really do in America and there are all sorts of kind of questions about it but this is my magic wand. Uh, I think that having everyone vote would change the nature of elections, the nature It participation. It would mean that we have a very different kind of culture around like whether or not people are allowed to vote on election day. Uh, and also I, I think would change the way that we kind of view civic participation. So I, I think mandatory voting, uh, similar to Australia, would be something that would be very exciting.
4: That would absolutely be amazing, and I'd love to see. That magic wand would really take a lot of the work off of what you would have to do to I make mean, that happen. I mean, yeah.
3: Um, magic is pretty dope, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, What do you think it's on? Uh...
4: There's so many that I would love to I would love to change, but if I could only change one, um, I would probably change mandatory reporting across the nation specifically for teachers of high school age students and professors. I have a lot of experience in for what? Uh, for sexual assault and domestic violence. Sorry, I was I was getting there, but Fleming made me realize that my long-winded sentences are a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. So uh, specifically, if a student goes to a teacher or a professor and says that something has happened, but they're not sure how they want to pursue, rather than having a policy, the national policy that teachers and professors have to report it immediately, and that the survivor doesn't actually get to make the choice of how they want to proceed, like given all of their options uh, and letting them think about things, they immediately have to have this conversation with people that they're not comfortable with, they're not ready to handle. And I think giving the autonomy back to survivors and being able to trust the people who are in academia is super important. And, you know, I trusted teachers a lot. And I know that I couldn't talk to them when things happened to me or when my friends, you know, things happened to them. And I think that would be a really important policy to be able to change, to give people their voices back.
0: Everyone's looking at me, so I guess it's my (laughs) turn. Uh, So my magic wand policy would be implementing a single-payer healthcare system in the United States. I think that that's something that has been fought for for many, 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 many years, uh, and it still has not happened. I worked in healthcare before coming to Sanford, so I've seen it firsthand how often issues go untreated and unresolved as a result of not being able to pay for the services and the care that someone needs. So that would be my magic wand policy, the domestic United States single-payer healthcare system.
1: Well, Jonathan, I'm jumping, I'm piggybacking on this because my my magic wand issue would be to invest in public agencies to manage public services instead of outsourcing government functions to private companies who have a profit motive. Um, One example is the latest booster, COVID-19 booster rollout this past month is the first time since the beginning of this COVID-19 pandemic that um, uh, vaccine rollout has not been handled by the government. And it's been a bit of a disaster, not to say that government policies could not use a lot of improvement but or government management, but um, putting important functions in the hands of for-profit companies who make deals with pharmacies but don't, for example, provide vaccines to hospitals and universities one month in um, is a big problem. So I, I think if we invested in our public agencies to manage public services, and to provide information proactively so that people have information and resources they need rather than having to seek them out piecemeal or having inequitable distributions. Um, we would do a lot for our citizens.
2: Well said, well said. Um, we, I think we're wrapping up the episode. Um, the last question is, I was just wondering, what in your life um, that gives you
0: joy? I mean, I can start with this question. Um, so, one thing in my life that gives me joy are the people in my life. Um, my friends, um, you know, the friends that I've made through the years are really kind of my chosen family, as people say, um, and I think that, for me, that's that what gives, what gives me joy, for certain.
1: For me, um, similarly, I, I would say my community of family and friends. Um, I have two fantastic kids. They bring me joy every day Um, and they're cool people. I like spending time with them. One is studying medicine, the other studying music. They're both amazing humans and deep thinkers and artists and um, spending time with them doing just about anything is a treat. Uh, I also love my community. I have sort of overlapping communities of old and new friends. I live out in the woods and um, love spending time with neighbors and friends. I love poking around in my garden and hearing the owls and coyotes outside my window at night.
2: What about you, Flamie? I know a lot of things in your life gives you joy, right? What's the most, you know?
3: <laughs> I um. I I think. So I, I, as I as I mentioned, I spent eight years working on democratic campaigns, and I, I think um, I'm. Uh, if for for any anyone listening to this podcast who's interested in that field, please feel free to reach out to me separately. But um, part of it is you're you're working like fourteen hours a day, seven days a week for months on end. And a thing that, because of the pandemic, because of some time off and discerning like that, I've started to rediscover brings me joy. I love. Games and I love playing. I love getting to play board games with like very smart people who can beat me. And I have this like really intense face when I'm losing where I look miserable, but I'm having fun. I'm just focusing. And it's just, there's just something so joyful about getting to engage with other people's brains.
2: I saw your game set up in your room, um, in your house the other day. I was impressed. Yes.
3: It's well, you know, I think. Uh, People have been trying to get put together some board games um, uh, nights, and we all keep studying, because apparently at school, you're supposed to learn <laughs> and do work. It's very upsetting.
4: Can't believe uh, you have to do that instead of playing Uno.
3: Look, I am, I am upset, because in a previous <laughs> life, they used to pay us to do work, and now we've paid to do work. It's messed up. Um, but uh, I love That's games. That's
2: how I feel every day. It's, it's, <laughs> very, it's very
3: stressful. You didn't know that in the first episode of the podcast we'd come out against higher education. Shots fired. <laughs> um, but um, no, I, I love games, and I, I love getting to play them with uh, amazing people, and it's, I think that games are, are sometimes not just like games, but I think things like this where you get conversations and you get this kind of this back and forth and this, this play.
0: You should check out our game night next Tuesday.
3: There's like game night. Ah, oh, I need to read the Slack more. Okay. Yes. Okay.
4: Faye, okay, I think I'm gonna have to turn this on you before I answer. You haven't. You've you've escaped narrowly, but I think this is yeah. the. I think this is the one where you have to answer. What brings you? I
2: was to hoping please? no one would notice. That. Well, that didn't happen. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, you know, I have I. It's a tough question because I, I, I'm i a really optimistic person, so I think a lot of things really gives me joy, you know, um, but if I have to say one thing, that would be my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to be, he was a stray um, puppy wandering on the street in China, and I fostered him. I ended up keeping him. Yeah, foster fail. And yeah, that happens. <laughs> Um, and I brought him all the way here. So that will be my dog. That's I love him. His name is Meichou in mm-hmm. Chinese. Mm-hmm. That means like little cold sprite. Um, yeah, so I miss him. Yeah. He's home waiting for me. I was going to say he's in your house, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess that still makes sense. So Selma... It's your turn. Yes, I've evaded the question for
4: long enough. I would say something that really brings me joy is exploring my own purpose and the purpose of other people while I'm in school. That sounds super deep, but it's really not too deep. I am a person who enjoys being surrounded by people that I know are going to do something really good in life. Because it's very easy for me to look at the state of the world and look at what's going on around me. And I am unlike Faye, I am not an optimistic person by nature. I'd say I'm realistic bordering on pessimistic. And being in a school like this and having friends and family who I know are doing really good things and being able to surround myself with people who I truly believe are making the world a better place gives me joy. Also playing Minecraft. Well, it playing sounds Minecraft like, playing. It gives me a lot of joy, too. Yeah,
2: it sounds like you're in the right place. I, I sure
4: know. am. They have simple. they have internet for Minecraft, and they also have lots of policymakers and people mm. who've already made the changes that they want, and they want to pass it on to others, and I love that.
0: I hate to break this to everybody, but that's all the time we have for the day. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to keep this conversation going, because it's been so fun and interesting. Uh, big thanks to Fleming, Laura, and Selma for joining Faye and I today. Uh, Hope Everyone has a great day. This episode was recorded at Duke's Sanford School of Public Policy. Our senior producer is Fleming Beaver, who also produced today's show. Our audio engineer is Maya Pandey. Our podcast music is provided by thepodcasthost.com and ali to the podcast speaker. Thank you all. Our co hosts
3: are Jonathan and Fay, who did a great
1: job. You did a
4: fantastic job.
1: Fantastic, guys.